0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The 500. The
1: 500. J-A-M-B us down through that 2012 edition So it ain't nothing to you Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend The King of these for Angelo Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end With my man JAM On the 500
0: until the end the
1: once over twice it's by X from the 1981 album wild gift It's number 333 out of 500 on oh, the 500 with Josh Adam Myers I'm gonna be in Texas this weekend January 20th through the 23rd at the Plano House of Comedy I'm gonna be in Austin in April for a comedy festival I am going to be in LA for the jam in February we're doing the jam at a uh, comedy cellar February 15th you can stream it on mintcomedy.com let me take a look at all my dates. This is some guy who got mad at me for promoting my dates on a free podcast. He goes, he just he talks about all the stuff he's doing before he even releases. So he's talking about the album. <laughs> House of Comedy in Arizona in uh, February, February 24th through whatever, three or four days of that is the 27th. Yeah, man, I got a bunch of stuff. Go to my website, joshadamires.com. And follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. All right, X, XXX. X, X, X. Uh, X. is a band that keeps popping up on the podcast, and uh, I've been very interested to uh, finally dig in to a record. Morty used to tell me about him, and big shout-out to DJ Morty Coyle. My guest today is Tom DeSavia. Tom is a good friend of mine, and he is uh, a big, big part of the L.A. punk scene, music scene here in Los Angeles and New York. Tom's written two books with uh, John Doe from X, uh, Under the Big Black Sun, A Personal History of L.A. Punk. More Fun in the New World, The Unmaking and Legacy of L.A. Punk. You can get both of those books on Amazon. Uh, he's just a dude. He's a dude that, when we were looking for a guest, Joe Sib set me up with him, and uh, just talking to the guy, I was like, homie for life. This guy knows punk this guy knows X And this guy knows how to get down baby rate review and most importantly subscribe to the 500 follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media email the podcast at 500 podcast at gmail.com follow the Facebook group run by crazy Evan uh, who just had like I think neck surgery we love you Evan and for all things 500 go to the website the 500 podcast.com. all right all right get to the album Josh all right, guys, 333 out of 500, Wild Gift by X.
0: Nice to meet you, man. Nice I to meet you. We've not met.
1: We haven't, but I feel like I know you because everybody in the music industry knows you,
0: dude. <laughs> but it's funny, I was thinking about it. We met before the whole End Times thing. I mean, when we, when we were put together, right?
1: So, so we got connected, for the audience out there, we got connected, well, I should preface it by saying this show is one of the hardest shows in the world to book because it's not like it's every band is something that somebody has heard of, especially me, where I'm like, okay, who the fuck is going to do Richard and Linda Thompson? So I have my booker, Emily. I have my booker, Melissa. I have me going through the comics. But, but then it's just like you get to a place where you're like, I have no idea who to ask for this record. So you reach out to someone like Joe Sib. Right, right, right. And, and Joe, I'm, I'm almost positive Joe is the one that linked it us up Right Yeah, because he was like, dude You know, Joe's, Joe's like, right. like human Prozac And he's just like, oh, brother Oh, dude, it'll be rad I'll introduce you to Tom Oh, he's the man It'll be great And I, I did you come through for us? I, I, I wonder, because we I remember we talked on the phone
0: Yes, I remember Because um, you called me about Big Star. Yes. I was like, and I love Big Star, but I, I hate people that go on like these TV shows and pretend they know about album and go like, yeah, John Lennon was going through a very, you know, intense time during this album. Yeah. And uh, I put you with Ronnie Barnett from The Muffs.
1: Yes, who who I love now. I mean, what a great sure. dude. Just sure. good energy. He's just a big dork and I love him. He's like a music nerd. He, he brought the record with him and and the cool thing too tom is that he's like you know we have like we have like diehard fans of this podcast but that that comment less than ronnie does on our stuff <laughs> like he'll we'll put up something he'll be the first person to comment
0: on it uh, awesome and he's another one of those guys we've only met in a big group breakfast once and we became like best friends and i've never seen him again so it's all online it's just me giving him little hearts He's, but
1: he's he's good at that though. He's he's king of 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 little hearts and 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 rock fingers. <laughs> he's good at. Everything.
0: He's good at everything. You know he has a. Did he talk about his plaster cast? Mm-mm. You know the plaster casters. No, I don't. The plaster casters were this group of uh, women in the '60s who were. I, there's no editing on this, right? No. Well, yeah, we'll edit. We'll edit. Whatever
1: you want. So just get as racist as you want. I know you're. Okay, well, they, I know you're proud boys.
0: They may well, yeah.
1: It's, it's, <laughs> this is the not, <laughs> yeah, dude, right. If, if if you guys are watching the video, <laughs> if you guys are watching the video right now, Tom looks like he just uh celebrated the January sixth anniversary. You are definitely we we will
0: not you will not replace us. <laughs> Every picture from that I have from the nineties has me with a little landing strip, and that's it. Like, yes. shade and this, and I was listening to country rock, you know, but no one would believe it. by looking look at the pictures, it just looks <laughs> full of Woodstock 99, but, um, <laughs> Ronnie really quickly. Cause he's talked about this on podcasts. I'll tell you, he, in the sixties, there was a group of women who went around making, um, plaster casts of, uh, rock stars. Dongs. Yeah. Was- oh yes. He, I, he might've mentioned it. He might've mentioned, it, but go ahead. They, they actually later in life, they went to him. And so somewhere, Ronnie has among the collection of like Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> Ronnie Burnett's thick, which are the fantastic, which is, I like, like you needed another reason to like him. I mean, but you know, I bet it's, I bet it's
1: longer than all of theirs because he's oh. tall and skinny and white.
0: Yeah. But what is, what has no one ever asked you or me for or ever will? Like, can we preserve that in a drawer somewhere on a shelf? Like, dude, I <laughs> want to do that
1: i want to do that can we figure out who can do that for me i want to i want to do that i want to keep the Myers penis because nobody ever got my my dad's but i always remember like like my like you you walk like your dad be like in the bathroom and i'm a little kid and i'd walk by and I'd like jesus christ my dad's got a huge penis i hope my penis turns out like that one day and i think it did i think it did for a guy that's five nine i think it did i think i'm a giant thumb <laughs> Dude, it's, it's, but, I, but just to have that, just to have like a plaster cast to be like, well, what's that over there? Yeah, that's my, that's my sheenus. You know what I mean? That's my long. That's the thing. They, they, yeah, just you know, just go. You can have one. Take one with you as you leave. All right, because I, because I can just talk. I can tell. Like even though this is really one of the first times me and you have looked at each other face to face. I've heard your name and I and I remember we had John Doe on the podcast to talk about Bob Dylan, and I mentioned you and he lit up. And so you're kind of a guy that I feel is just around everything in music in some way because everybody knows who you are. I've talked I've mentioned your name before and people are like, oh dude, everybody knows Tom. So before we even get into X, just, just kind of explain to the audience like your relationship to the music industry and why you're that dude that's kind of around.
0: Wow. I, I'm, well, first off, I was like, you know, figuring out all week if this was some sort of like producer's thing for you and you're trying to like get less ratings. Dude, like, I, I just so wanted. To I I, we don't want At anybody to listen to this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, who do we get? We'll, get? we'll get this Italian guy from the Valley. No one knows. Um, no, I've been, I've been in the music business since i was 19 okay i got into it sort of accidentally i'll be really brief i had no other desires or skills and didn't know what the music business was grew up a pretty poor kid in the valley didn't go to college got an internship that turned into a job that somehow has turned into a career and you know i'm I'm in constant you know waiting for the the knock on the door where the entire industry is there going we know you don't know anything at all yeah. i'm not musician. i'm not that particularly good at anything but i really like records um but just literally having grown it's weird like i i started working in the business at 19 and so i sort of spent a lot more time doing it so just the people i knew the friends the everybody was you know in music and then um you know, the the punchline bring around full circle. I met Doe because X is one of my favorite bands of all time, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But I met Doe in '96 when I was doing AR at Lecture Records. And when I went there, I have these two weird conflicting obsessions. I'm equally obsessed with X and Linda Ronstadt. So, <laughs> yeah, that too. And so I went to it. And so, Lecture was the home of what? X and Linda Ronstead. So when nice. It went, like, you know, it was it was that one brief minute in the music business where I got to say things like, well, I'll take the job if, you know, now it's like, <laughs> I don't <need> to <laughs> just hire me. But um, I said, I'll take the job if I could do a, an X box set, a Linda Ronstead box set. And they are like, sure. And so I got to call all the members of X and compile this box set. And somewhere along the way, Doe and I became pals, much to the delight of my 13-year-old, Punk rock kid self. And starting then, I started bugging him to write a book because he'd tell me these stories and they were just great. And this, it wasn't, you know, it was the late 70s, early 80s, this period wasn't really documented great. Yeah. So tell me stories I'd never heard. And it was just like, you know, I was, you know, there's, a, there's all those really cool punk rock fans, Rockabilly kids or just burly ones. And I was like in that like book club. Shatner fan. Yeah, you're you're a music nerd. Yeah, you know that episode with the Tribbles, you know. And so yeah. I was at <laughs> about stuff, and he was going like, I never want to write a book, I never want to write a book. And then years later, his 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 partner, his girlfriend Christy, started to bug him too. And finally he just said to me, He's like, All right, I'll do it if you do it with me and we make it just about LA Punk and you have to get us a book deal. And I went, Okay. And I hit a few people up got calls back right away going like that sounds like an awful idea don't ever call us again (laughs) and then really just was hung up by like every agent i was like i'm like we want to do a music a book about a scene that didn't really make any money yeah and uh and then another band i've worked with for years this band called the old 97s i've heard of them great one of my those are my other favorite guys and um one the drummer or drummer guitar player kenner phillip said oh i went to High school with the girl does something with books, and I was like, "Can I talk to her?" <laughs> and be <and, laughs> this amazing nonfiction agent in New York, and a punk rock fan, and she got us a deal like within a week. So I wrote two books with John Doe and a variety of other great voices from the LA punk scene that came out and did pretty well, and both those did 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 pretty good, and um, and it was like a total dream come true, and so that the. And, and then I had a bunch of jobs in between.
1: Just before we even get, because I have a follow-up question to that, but you you worked in A&R at Electra, you said. What, mm-hmm. were, there, what were the bands that that you probably had your hand in launching? The old 97. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like this. I was like, I, already, I couldn't <laughs> launch Linda Ronstadt, and that well, was, was already say, broken up.
0: I got to work with, I got there, and I was the guy who was like, I want to work with all these artists I love. And so I kept my job because I sold tens of records of the stuff that I thought. I mean, I was like, Tense. yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was a liability for that company for six years, <laughs> but I would stop in everyone's and I'd be like, Hey, I like Amy Lou Harris. Yeah. Or, you know, like I you know, I, I, like Buffalo Springfield. I'll do something on the doors, you know? And so I was working with all this heritage stuff and I got to work with Ronstadt on a bunch of records. And when I say AR R and work with Ronstadt, uh, they found out I was a fan. They were like, we need a fan inside. And they would like, let me sign invoices and, and come visit them at the studio and stuff. But I wasn't wow. at all going, yeah, you ladies should cut this. You know, I was <laughs> just going, I'm <going> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, I, but the old 90s, I signed a bunch of bands. I hated doing NR. I hated it for a record label. Hated it. Why? Be- because I'm I, I I don't really have and I'm not saying this for like cool points. I'm saying this, it's sort of sad. I don't have um, really commercial tastes. And it was like every seven years music will come around to what I like. And if I could, something will kind of get in there and then I'll like spend the next seven years with that. I hope my bosses aren't listening, you know, with that yeah. one sort of went around and otherwise it's sort of like G chord, rock guy, punk rock guy, roots, rock guy. And, and so I, I would sign stuff that, and it was in the nineties when there was so much excess. So there was a lot of records I signed, like didn't even come out, didn't even get made, but it'd be a year of your time, you know? So the 97 somehow we eked out three band records and a solo record from them. And it was just in that period where they were allowed to be a young band and go on the road and get tour sports. So they still have a career because they sort of got in there right before major labels weren't going, your your Twitter followers are how many? No record for you, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I just always felt like out of place and I'm generally sort of nervous anyway. So it was just six years of nerves.
1: Yeah, it seems like a high stressful job because you're always being relied on what, what you know, even if the band puts out a good record, like, I mean, like quality, not not talking about sales, just a quality record as they, they're just looking at you like, well, what are the numbers?
0: I just remember at one point in like '96, my boss at the time came to me and she was like, "I'm bringing all this like country rock and stuff in." I'm like, "Oh, this person's really good," and and she's like, "What I'm looking for you is I'm looking for the next Limp Biscuit," and mm-hmm. I'm just thinking because I'm like, I wouldn't assign Limp Biscuit, mm-hmm. and so I don't know how to find the next one, and so I just would sit there, and then every once in a while, like I'd just like could be like, "Oh look, I'm making outdoors box set over here. You can ignore me." <laughs> and, and, and there'd be other people like doing battles for the latest hot band and I wish I but when I say like I don't want to say high stress because it's high stress is pushing a bunch of wheelbarrows up a hill you yeah. know full of bricks I don't know. Know mean. it was it was but it was high stress in the I would just sit there and be like I don't have a backup plan I didn't go to college I don't have Skills or talents, and I mean, I don't say that in an Ah oh, Shucks way. I mean, like, I, I actually don't. I don't. I can't cook. I can't. I guess I could string a banjo if I needed to, but that's about it. Are
1: the Abbott Brothers hiring because I can tune it? I can tune a banjo, bro. I didn't say I can tune it. This is where this is uh, uh, you fired. <laughs> put words in my mouth, buddy. But but Tom, welcome to the life of a stand-up comic, dude. I mean, I, I want to quit constantly. I mean. I, I, went up at, I went up at literally last night at the Comedy Cellar at 2.30 in the morning and the crowd was like drunk and wild and I had a fine set, but I get off stage and I'm just like, why am I
0: doing this to myself? I, why oh, am I, I, dunk- I don't know if I'm supposed to be saying this. I don't know if this is like an aristocrats thing that you're not supposed to talk about, but I've oh. always been friends with comedians and I think it's our mutual sense of dread.
1: There's there's a... there's a,
0: oh, it's I, like, I, Put a lot of pot and get real sad and talk about... How dreadful the next year is going to be, you
1: know? Uh, I, dude, maybe that's that's why we're friends. We barely know each other. I'm just like, uh, he gets me, and I get him. Um, I can, yeah, I can imagine, dude. Um, uh, but the old '97s, everything I've heard by them, I dig. And I mean, look at look at what you've done. So obviously, it doesn't just have to do with you know your ear, but it's just you. It's I think what what keeps people in this business, music and I'm talking behind the scenes too, is just you're fun to work with, people like you, you have a good energy. And if you do that and you know your shit, so that's all that really matters, right?
0: Well, that's real nice of you to say. Hopefully, yeah. You're doing
1: pretty good so far, <laughs> dude. They, they haven't called it's, you out but, as an imposter yet.
0: What's the expression, uh, like old buildings and old horrors get respect eventually? <laughs> I never heard that, but <laughs> I'm fucking <laughs> using that. And <laughs> it's like, all right. You know, she, you... I'm, you become dude. like that, you
1: know. Dude, she'll give you the five-minute special, dude. She's 76 <laughs> years old. Trust me. You'll come like she's rolling up an old tube of toothpaste. <laughs> okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
1: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. <laughs> That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No By law, 18+ terms and
0: conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk and I'm the host of Lambgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up and coming
0: bands on the show as well. So come check out Lambgoat's Van Flip Podcast.
1: All right, let's get to the band. Let's get to the band yes. because I can talk to you and I will go and we're going to go off in a bunch of directions. All right. Cool. So, so I, and I have to be completely honest. Um, I heard X only through doing this podcast and I don't even mean hearing their music. Um, just I heard the band brought up throughout the history of doing this in the last two or three years. How, long, how Adam, how long have I been doing this three years? Just about a little under. Just about three. Oh yeah. So oh wow. Jesus Christ. So so in that time, I keep hearing this band. I'm not gonna lie. At first, I thought it was the band King's X. Do you remember King's X? Texas the bla-
0: Rockers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's who I thought it was. Speaking of which, they had a good song. I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking remind Adam. Remind me to look up King's X when this is over. So I re- so I started seeing the name come around, come around. Yet I hadn't listened to it. And then I remember Mark Marin put out a tweet within the last year that was him saying i don't think there's a better punk rock band than x i think x and i think he mentioned a record it might have been this one it might have been los angeles um and for you to say them and linda ronstadt are like your your fucking shit so so how does that happen because i don't think you're much older than i am baby I'm, I'm, i'm 42 how old are you I'm fifty-five. Okay, you're well. You, goddamn, dude, dude. If you're yeah. using just for men, dude, you look it's fucking like,
0: great. They, they're, they're, it's getting in there. No, it's um, no, no kids in marijuana. But yeah. it's, <laughs> it stops COVID too. It does stop COVID, <laughs> yeah. and the only people that have read that are people like me and you. By the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: and, and other stoners <laughs> and a bunch of <laughs> comics. Our
0: Google alerts are Google alerts. Like, are my life choices okay? It's right. like, wait,
1: so I I can take this bong hit, and this will protect <laughs> me from the poison that is outside.
0: <laughs> but you know, it was funny. So, growing up, I grew up in the valley. Yeah. I have a, uh, my siblings are 12 and 14 years older than me. So I grew up fully on pop radio. I loved pop radio and, and on my brother's music. And my brother's music was Zeppelin Sabbath, you know, all those sort of things, doors, anything except Credence. And he loved Linda Ronstadt and specifically this one record, which is on the, uh, Rolling Stone list finally when they change it's so one improvement they made in the change um, to 2020 but so I just fell in love with that and she was literally the um, those records were roadmaps to me because she was an interpreter singing other people's songs so that's how I found Elvis Costello and Neil Young and you know Little George and just a million writers Graham Parsons went into all that whole thing yeah And just L.A. country rock, and I just love sort of roots music. And that all started from those records of her, which were the first sort of alt-country records, especially by Chick in like the late 60s, early 70s. And then she became this huge pop star. But those early records are really just really amazing roots records. And it's funny, like in our second punk rock book, Having Nothing to Do With Me, If you look in the the index, she's referenced constantly by people by like Annette from Blood on the Saddle or Maria from uh, uh, Lone Justice or The Bangles as sort of that was their person. So I all my like music and I had pop music. And in like, right as I was getting to be like 13, pop music got really, really, really bad. And there was like flute solos instead of guitar solos in them. And don't
1: shit on Jethro Tull, dude. Do not shit on Jethro Tull, if that's what I mean, you're I going. I do shit
0: on Jethro Tull, but not now because you asked me to. But I'm talking more like <laughs> a soft pop, pop, soft pop song where we're like literally where there's supposed to be a guitar solo. you hear just like, and you know, the ironic thing about being 13 is, you know, you're at your sexual prime with no getting late. Yeah. <laughs> whatsoever. So you're just like. So all of a sudden, you know, your friend starts bringing these punk rock records, and you're like, break things, great things. This is awesome." Yeah. yeah. And X was like the LA band. I'm I'm a native, and you just knew they were everywhere. They were, you know, it was. I'm I'm not into sports either, but that was like my team. You know, it was like, and we you started to hear them. Your friends started to get the records. Rodney on K Rock would play them. And they just had something completely, they just, they absolutely changed my brain. They rewired my brain.
1: Why uh, is that? What, like, what is, what is it? Like, I I mean, I listened to it. It's, it's, it's great. I'm not going to say, I'm not shitting on it whatsoever. Oh. It's great. But like, like I, I get the idea of like, Lynn Ronsett listening to all this and then suddenly you have the punk and the teenage angst. And then you hear this, but like, what, what is it that makes this band? They have three albums, Adam, on the top 500 list. They
0: have two, still, right.
1: for a band two. that I had never really heard of.
0: Total Records, or Seven Total Records, whatever it is. Um, they, I mean, the big thing was, I mean, when I heard it, I hated it because x vocals were so jarring. And that's, I mean, I hadn't seen a bad side of the world. I'd only seen flute pop. Yeah. You know, so this was, and, you know, when you're 13, 14, you know, grown up in the mean streets of Thousand Oaks, you know, the, you're, 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 you know, you know it was like, me and Italian and my best Jewish friend were the ethnic kids at our high school. You know, it wasn't like, you didn't see a lot of the hard world outside, but you started to like, you know, go through that 13 year old angst thing. And then, and then all of a sudden this music came in that just bluntly on one thing, it was mine. It wasn't my brother's. He didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And my parents who had been conditioned to like all sorts of rock and roll for my siblings found something they hated. So it was like, bonus you know so there's that thing as a kid like but with x they were songs and that's what got me they're they're structured they're pop songs they're they're you know verse chorus verse um you know bridge they're you know it's funny the wild gift is the most punk rock album out of all of them um which we could get into but and and i'd never heard with the exception of maybe like an everly brothers song that was on my parents radio station when i was a kid i'd never heard uh, harmony vocal is leaked mm-hmm. and so everything about it was jarring and then it was finally going to a show when i was 15 years old which was a disaster in a thousand other ways that scared the shit out of me and i did one of those things where i walked into this world where i didn't belong with my argyle sweater and my you know, like my, you know, stoned on Valley weed with my friends. And, and all of a sudden, it was like walking into hell. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was like, what was going on? And I, all four of them were so individualized. I've never seen anything like I've seen anything like any of them. I never heard a drummer like DJ Bonebreak. Never saw someone play like Billy Zoom. I'm 15. And then John, just like one of the great singers. I think of rock and roll, and you know it's like this, and and all this stuff is happening that makes no sense on stage. And I was literally, I was standing at the back of this club. It was a club called the Country Club in Reseda, California. And I was I had my back up against the wall. I was stoned. I was 15. So so you know, what was going on there? I, my back was pressed up so hard against the wall that if I could have gone through it, I would have. And I was doing that thing like you do when you first get drunk, and you go, "If you get me through this." I will never go to a punk show again. Yes, I've said that many times to God. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> I, and, I, and, and it wasn't like in my head, people walk, I was wearing an Argyle sweater. I remember it because I'd worn it to the Stray Cat Show previously and it went <laughs> over pretty well. And I'm like, great. And um, we, it, it, I just, and, and then I emerged from it and I was just like, oh, it's sort of like the first time you go down a, a hill really fast on your bike and you're scared and then you can't wait to go do it again yes yeah. and so it was like that it was like that with me and x just you know once once i understood the the math of x once i understood like okay these are not this is not a combination of sounds that i've ever heard before so it was so jarring when i was a little kid so i was like well, this isn't this isn't how pop music is supposed to sound this isn't how songs are supposed to sound but then it was just like sort of like and it sort of opened this door to just, a you know, for for the 13-year-old emo me, or 15-year-old emo me, really, it opened the world to this darker world. Yeah, There's something darker out there. But then musically, it just opened me up beyond. And I still love all the pop music stuff, and I still love all my roots music stuff. I, I like some of the punk rock stuff less that I get older, but not X and it's just because this, there is a lot of it that was just sort of break things break things yeah and just doesn't resonate anymore i'm like oh, i was kind of dumb but i guess what i like i was to drink cheap beer and you yeah. know just break things
1: of course so yeah. so so you're so so i uh, cuz so tell me because I, what is that punk scene in la like pre do you know pre <laughs> x and then x comes
0: like what was the reaction well, to, that, to the music. Of that first wave, it was before my time. Okay. Yeah. But I came in, like, by the time I came in, it was after this record. They had had a major label deal. They were on Electra at this point. Um, and they were, they were what I knew about them, like I so said, just because even these early indie records were getting on the like LA Times best of year end list. So you were just, you'd know, you were aware of X. If you were at all into music, you were aware of it. If you listen to K Rock, you were of them, but when they came into the scene, it was a lot of it was a lot of bands. It was the Screamers, it was X, it was the Go Go's. there's a lot of bands that came in, and the thing that I love about LA punk the most, and I love punk rock in general, but LA punk was really the the umbrella of what was punk rock was really uh, wide-reaching from like. X, who had you know real moments of you know rockabilly and and nods to Woody Guthrie in it, and you know with a jazz drummer, and then you had like Los Lobos, who came out of the East L.A. or The Brat, who are these great you know Latin or Mexican rock bands, and um, you know the the Blasters, who are full on you know original rock and roll band or the screamers who were really keyboard driven. And so it was just like punk rock was just basically everything that wasn't, you know. regular rock and roll. Yeah, and X is just like, you know, if there's a great documentary on them called The Unheard Music, and you just, you couldn't go and see them and not have a reaction, you know? And that's what I think was, I mean, meaning like that reaction might've been like, oh, this is awful, this is the worst thing I ever heard. But it was so, you know, authentic and and just different to anything else that right away they just became Critics' Darlings. And they put out their first single, which actually came out in 78, features two songs that were then on this, which was their second album. Oh, And so it was adult books and we're desperate. And so they just... They're the kind of band. I mean, you know, like probably annoyingly so. You won't find a single rock critic in the world that that will dislike X. Yeah, you know what I mean. But it's like, but it's also so right away. Again, I wasn't there. I mean, but as soon as they sort of came on the scene and got signed to Slash in '80, I guess, um, they just became, you know, one of the biggest bands in the punk scene and really developed. Were were. Part, you know, John would argue this probably in his, um, in his, in his generosity and, and he's right to a degree, but, but they would be one of the real architects of the scene.
1: So, so, so when the, so they come in mm-hmm. and then they, in a sense, take over the LA punk rock scene.
0: So yeah, Along uh, with, along with a bunch of other uh, things that were happening at the time. Yeah. But they were part of that wave. Of first bands and became one of the most notable. Certainly. I mean, it's, and, and would you say black it has Flag. to be? Deal-
1: yes, of course. black. Yeah. Well, Black Flag is more of like a hardcore, like they're like, like Black Flag. There's, there's a, that's a, t- you know, yes, they're in a sense on the same genre, but like, those are but, totally different
0: sounds. But you'd see them and the blasters and X on the same bill at a show. Really? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Because they didn't have anywhere else to play. So you'd see, you know, you know, social distortion opening for for X or, you know, Los Lobos. You know, we're we're big in that punk scene. That's what they came up because no one was gonna. So that that's what, I mean, it became like this scene for outcasts, kind of. Yeah. And and that's so you'd go to a show, and that's what, I mean, you'd see there'd be all these different fan bases. I liked going to hardcore shows the least solely because i felt like a victim every time i went there i was a scrawny scrawny non-intimidating looking kid you're just like they're terrified but i'd go to those like santa monica civic shows but i like but you know the um so yeah you just have these different crowds show up but it was all all these punk bands sort of played together you know black flag and the go-go's on a bill and x on a bill was commonplace
1: so they, so they come out. They the first album is Los Angeles, right? Yeah. The first album is Los Angeles that came out. Adam, when did that come out? In good. I'm looking for it now. Hold on. I think. It's I, think
0: I think that okay. came out. New.
1: And this came out in 1980. I think I have it right here. This this one came out in 1981.
0: Um, like 80, and 80, and 80
1: record. Oh wow. Let me pull up my stuff. Hold on.
0: Uh, because it's the first X record I bought. That's the first one. All right. So, 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 so tell me about
1: that. So tell me about like, so you you suddenly become this X fan, you get this record, obviously,
0: have you already heard Los Angeles? Yeah. Well, and the reason I got this record was because Los Angeles was arguably the bigger record and had a couple of friends that had it. And the only way you heard records were if your, your buddies had them and, you know, it was, you know, you'd save up, I'd save up to buy records and, and, at one point you know i saved up enough to go buy a record and my buddies we had enough copies in the group of los angeles yeah i wild gift so we'd have that and so it's in in a a lot of ways and almost every way it's my first punk rock record it's you know it, it means everything to me it was just like it was the one that i got to listen to on my own with my headphones and not just with my friends and it was so it was a really big deal but i went there the reason i got it was because i probably would have gotten los angeles if it was left to my own because that was the song you were hearing on rodney all the time and and just you know you know even you know, out of the box iconic album cover sort of thing and and uh i bought wild gift and just was like you know it got you me hooked. you were hooked
1: Helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMs. It wasn't just a radio station; it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down. Right? Get down the wrath of the buzzer. WMMs Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. So so Adam found this, that since this is the second release by X, the guitarist Billy Zoom has described the record as as almost thin-sounding and laments that the album contains some of their best material but suffered from production woes. Uh, But it came out and it was voted second-best album of the year uh, in the Village Voice, uh, Village Voice's Paz and Jop poll. Only The clashes Sandinista came ahead of it. So sure. compared to the first record, as a fan, was this
0: well-received by you and, and oh. all of your buddies? Well, and it's like, look, it's on your list. I mean, it, obviously, it's funny. It is the record, weirdly enough, that I, I don't think gets enough credit. Like, no one's reissued, or well, I take it back, Fat Possum, has put out all the band's records now, but like leading up to where you're getting like special editions of records or or a magazine does a spotlight on a record, they always tend to go to Los Angeles or under the Big Black Sun, which are these great albums. But this one is the most punk rock record, I think, in that there's a lot of like minute 30 second songs, everything's really fast. I think most of the songs were written actually before Los Angeles on yeah. this record. And they went back into to do them. So it was exactly what I wanted. It was like so, you know, it, it it was quintessential punk rock to me. It's 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 it falls into like if you played it for some like you can play some X ex- songs for people and they'd be like, Is this punk rock? Because there's a sax on it or there's they're really beautiful melody lines. And this one is straight like and it's just so I loved it and I still think it's fantastic
1: so i so as a as a guy who like i said is just getting into this band the only song off of los angeles that i've actually listened to is the title track uh so this is my first like you know full x record the first song was exactly what i was expecting right and then it just starts going into different places there's roy orbison sounding songs there's you know white girl which i mean it's punk but it's just it's got the melodies i can hear the influences that that this band is probably like i don't think there's a green day without this band uh i can hear red hot chili peppers in them a lot like 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 who before we get into who they influenced, who
0: do you think influenced them when they are have you talked because you're friends with them yeah i mean and it's funny we don't get into those kind of discussions a lot but i can tell you what i think that i think is a good is a good bet you know, fifties rock and roll. You know, um, you know Johnny Cochran and you know the early early roots music. Uh, you know, um, Merle Haggard, uh, just it, all sorts of folk music. You know, it's it's weird. They were just soaking everything. I know for a fact, and this is something we lead into. They were um, John and Nick specifically were massive Doors fans. Yeah massive Doors fans. And in fact, so the first four X records were produced by Ray Manzarek from The Doors. Wow. Sort of is that LA lineage that reaches throughout. And it's funny, like I'm not, and this is like, we've never talked about that. My brother is, Doe is like, I'm not the biggest Doors fan uh, coming up. I, I, I appreciate them, but I'm not, they're not like one of my bands, but I can't imagine what it was like being a kid, and the same thing, hearing, you know, 60s pop come through the radio, and then all of a sudden, the Doors do. It was punk rock. And yeah. so it, it was like one of the biggest influences on them, lyrically, just, oh, this can be done. Sort of the same experience I had, but, um, but more of them like oh, there's a play, there's, there's like, oh, there's more stuff for me to listen to. And for them, I think it was like, oh, there's a, there's a way for us to create art in this.
1: What do you, what do you think differentiated, you know, was it the live show? Was it the music, like the albums, the energy, like what differentiated them to, from all the other bands? Cause like, I can kind of, I know this is going to sound weird to having, having listened to, uh, we did the go-go's debut. The, is that the one with, uh, we got the oh. beat on it. Yeah. So we, I mean, you. I can almost hear some of the same influences, that that are in this not not fully not it's not like every
0: song but it's but you
1: when know, you mention
0: go ahead oh no i was gonna say they were all i, I just one quick correction i rose before i said johnny cochran who i believe was the oj attorney yes it I, was cochran so yeah
1: <laughs> John, so, I, was like, uh, I was like johnny cochran played on this god what a full life he had you can hear it <laughs> and they like, she's a
0: white girl and she got the glove she's gonna quit. I, I like, I like Johnny those. Cochran's early stuff, personally, but yeah. they No, but they were all grown up in that same art environment, I think, doing discovering at the same time. So they were all, you know, this is this is fanboy imagining what it was like, but I think they are all watching the same movies, listening to the same records, just doing like you and your buddies were, me and my buddies were. Someone was walking in going like, oh my god, have you heard the MC5? Let's listen to this. Or... Yeah. You know, so they they were really like John, who I know the best, obviously, um, is, you know, shockingly and impressively encyclopedic in his musical knowledge. And it's really fun to talk to him about music because he has such a better memory than I or anybody else I know does. But he like, he really is, you know, though they never really talked about that. He was a, a student of music and then and he was also you know extremely artistic guy and wanted to express himself and and you know probably with you know with that voice he could have become a pop star but he wasn't made to make pop music and he's you know? a good
1: looking guy too i mean he's you know he's you can see it the even when pack- he's like, yeah he's a full package for sure uh tall dude is he tall
0: he's like tall- six he- I'm ten. So he's probably like six. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yep. I could tell dude. Yeah. You got the, you got the ladies.
1: Were they, were they like, I mean, cause also it's like a pretty diverse band. I mean, you have, so here, you, you know better. So just so tell me everybody's in the band. Do me, if you don't mind, cause I know, you know, yeah. the band. So kind of like give us a little bit of the history on the band.
0: Uh, okay. Billy Zoom is the guitar player and he has a, for to generalize it, a rockabilly background. Uh, amazing, amazing player. And that was the other thing too. Punk bands weren't known for their amazing players, yeah, and it's nor, power chords. Nor was that the draw. You wanted break things, break things, break things a lot. And then these bands would come out every once in a while. That, so Billy was a really accomplished, is really accomplished player. Um, uh, Doe is a classic songwriter and singer. He's just in the punk world, but he is just a. a, a he was the bass player in the band, but um, just a great songwriter like said like really knows classic song structure and sort of brought that into X uh, DJ the drummer I believe has like a jazz background played like no one I've ever heard it was just like a captain heart fanatic yeah brought that into the band and the next scene is a poet and like I don't think ever set out to be in a band she set out to be a poetry and they sort of came together and this thing happened. The sound happened. The, the, my favorite little factoid though, of them is so the bands as punk bands have, they have, you know, punk names. So John Doe is not his birth name. Billy Zoom is not his birth name. Right. Exean is not, <laughs> is not her birth name. DJ bone break. Come on. That's gotta be real. Is real. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> DJ Bone Break? Oh my god, he's my favorite professional wrestler in AEW. I mean, how would you not be It was it was like it was destined for him. It was, but yeah, I DJ, it. out of all of them, DJ Bonebreak is the yeah. real one. Is <laughs> Donald John Bonebreak is on his birth certificate. So I, I mean well I, god, I didn't even read DJ Bonebreak.
1: I fucking love that, dude. Um so so then, so this record comes out. You know, you you hear it. what do you what do you like about this record compared to Los Angeles?
0: Well, I mean, it, 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 there wasn't. You know, again, at that age, you're not sitting there picking apart the intricacies of a record. What you like, like this is awesome too. You know, so it was, yeah. it was definitely that. But again, I loved. It. I never okay, when like again coming out of say the pop world the. The listening to Linda Ronstead songs and listening to Neil Young songs and listening to those kind of lyrics, you know, which, you know, were, you know, might have been about weed and bad relationships, but were really sort of, you know, comfortable to soak in like it was an easy for me to digest where the X's lyrics were the thing that always scared me, intrigued me, made me go like, you're not supposed to do that. Like the first song. The once over twice. I remember hearing that the first time because the line is um, I just heard the sad song by another band sung by another man. He gave me the once over twice. And I just remember I love that. Like, what? Like what? And the, you know, they had and the album had lyrics all handwritten by a scene written reading it. There's a I was like I could throw my lipsticks and bracelets like gravel Move to Alabama. I had some more scotch instead. And i was like this makes no sense like what is this and i it was just it was like that's why when i say it rewired my brain it was like oh it doesn't have to be i saw her standing there you know and you know and in a way i would say like because when we were doing the book tours i'd get asked a lot what the first punk rock song i ever heard was and it was it was helter skelter by the beatles which is punk that is punk. didn't sound like the band was supposed to sound. The lyrics made no sense. It was jarring. It was scary. I grew up in the Valley, so it was verboten because we we're too close to Spawn Ranch. Wasn't allowed to listen to it. My parents thought it would invoke some like killer hippies. True yeah. story. Um, but it was like that, so it had that same sort of effect where at first when I heard Help Sculpts, I'm like, oh, I don't like this. You know, this isn't, yeah. This is- and you're just going it's like, not a, it's
1: not an easy listening to you right off the jump. it's it's like more or less I think when you start to appreciate the Beatles and you fall in love with them and then you hear it and then you're like and over time you're like, oh, this is one of their best songs
0: yeah and i it's probably felt cool. you when I was like eight or nine from my brother and it was just like you know that's not like those other songs yeah but like that thing we were talking about that like I'll be good if I never hear this again but then it's sort of in you and it just sort of keeps going like, and then it's forbidden by the parents, which again adds that level of. Oh yeah, oh, I gotta listen to this as much as I possibly can.
1: Oh yeah, dude. Uh, you you keep mentioning you know that you know John Doe and I know you've written two books with him, right? Yeah. So so how do you so going from a fan, how do you become friends with John Doe?
0: It was it was, was we were making that record the the Xbox set together, and it was funny because I've been and it's. This is this is a weird way to say it, but look, I'm sure you, you, it's the same for you in your world. I don't, you know, because I, I've done this my whole life, since I was like 19, I don't really get like nervous around musicians. I don't really get, I mean, there's some that I just don't want to meet. The one There's certain ones that I just like, I never want to meet. I I got to meet Niccolo once and I couldn't say anything. So I know I'd blurt out, a thank you for the music, you know, yeah. for, don't want to do that but so with doe um we just hit it off and i was such a fan and he was just such a you know a good regular guy and we honestly as, as cliche it says we just kind of became pals and he would he was living outside of la so when he would drive into town to do shows a lot he'd stay crash with me and or we'd go grab dinner or we'd or i'd just go see him whenever he played and so we just always kept in touch and we Became friends and see a movie once in a while, that sort of thing. I mean, for sure, the thirteen year old in me is always a little present. Every once in a while, it's like, oh shit! Like this was a guy that completely was responsible for putting me on the path I'm on. You know, and and I every once in a while, like I'll I'll sort of have that feeling, which is like, you know, I become the Star Trek kid. I'm like, oh shit! You know, like this is cool but it's just been now 25 years or something like that. And, and just because we did the books together, we were, we were together so much during that. And um, yeah, I don't think it would have, I wouldn't have been able to do it if I was in like fan mode the whole time, but it was weird. We did the, um, the book has a ton of people in it from Henry Rollins to, to, Tony Hawk to Shepard Ferry, all these people yeah. had experiences with the Go-Go's. And so when we did it, we also recorded an audio book and everyone read their own chapters in it. So everyone that wrote something read their own, Billy Joe Armstrong and blah, 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 and all these people throughout. And so as I was communicating with people, it was kind of wild because I was getting this sort of knighted by John, like it's cool to talk to this guy and then people are comfortable talking to you and at that point we were doing that the 15 year old me was totally present when it was like yeah hello mr chris d from the flesh Eaters," (laughs) you know and and then meeting them i'd get i I would definitely there's times i would just stay in the back room and just be like you know just in the same way i didn't belong in that first punk show i don't didn't belong among these people but they're all really super nice but um but yeah it's it's there's every once in a while like you know, John will be here and he'll, he'll pull out a bass that I've seen him play forever. And I'll just be like, oh, oh right. Yeah, you fanboy out. <laughs>
1: so, um, I, so what is, so like, so then what's the process behind you and John basically becoming collaborators?
0: Like whose idea was it? Like. I, I bugged him to write a book. I, I was bugging him fierce because he was telling these great stories. And the, this, his stories were better than the stories that were out there that weren't real. And they were, and he's, and he's a good storyteller. He's really funny and he's really, detailed and and he's just a good storyteller as he is a songwriter so i I was bugging him and and he was just like fuck you no i'm not writing a book i'm not writing a book i'm not writing a book and he was really hardcore was like i'm not gonna write an x book that's bullshit i'm not gonna write about and he's like and i'm not gonna write about the punk scene from my view because the reality was like probably you know a little after wild gift came out they went on the road they were one of the first bands also from la to actually have a deal and be able to go out and tour Mm -hmm so they weren't around for a lot of stuff that was happening in their wake in the, in the early eighties, they'd come back and play here a ton, but they weren't around. so he came up with this idea. If we gave people topics and had everyone write from their own perspective. And what we got the deal, I should say too, it can be told now we got the deal. We sort of didn't expect to get the deal. And then we had a book to write. And we were like, we don't know what to write about. (laughs) Like we really were like, and John came up with the idea is like, all right, let's give, we know how to make albums. So let's give people these topics, get them to write chapter and then we'll sequence it together like a record. And so that's what we did. So we went to like Jane Weedlin and said, Hey, write about that apartment building you were in that all the punks were hanging out in. Hey, Rollins, talk about the hardcore scene coming up. Um, you know, just on and on, you know, of, of, you know, different different aspects of the scene, and we got them in, and the first couple we got were Jane Weedlands and a woman named Pleasant Gaiman, who is like, a scene star uh, in bands, uh, wrote for the LA Weekly, and it's just, like, the biggest personality of life, and those two chapters came in, and they were two of the best things we wrote about, and they were really close, and we didn't let anybody else know what anyone else was writing about or read anybody else's things, and so they wrote these two things that were almost, like, two views of, Different cameras on the same scene and it just read great. And we went like, oh shit, I think we have a book. So we got all these chapters in from people. And then John and I wrote the little interstitial bits that went between them and to sort of tie it together into a narrative. But we did both books in the confines of one year. And we probably wrote all our stuff in the confines of two months. Yeah. Okay. In a <laughs>
1: Yeah. You got everybody else to work for you. That was the start yeah. thing. It's that's like,
0: John, we got I mean, a book deal.
1: Hey, go ahead and write three chapters for me. All right? You yeah. write two. And uh, John, don't write anything. Not yet. Hold no. out and write, give me two sentences in
0: 15 minutes. John's lying, but he didn't want to paint the fence by himself. So you got <laughs> everyone else to paint the fence. And that's sort of what happened. And then it just went together. And we, we decided to base the first book on the first fight, because we sort of looked at the LA scene, the original scene happening from 77 um, to 87. Yeah, And then basically it was like metal won, then Guns N' Roses won and punk rock lost. And, and so we to t- the first book just for to give it some sort of cohesiveness. John was like, let's just do the first five years. And I was all for it because I wasn't around that time. And that's what I wanted to know about as a fan. So I'm like, this is great. And then the book came out and did well. We actually got a Grammy nomination and we lost it to Dude. Carol Burnett. Ah, oh, that bitch. That bitch. Oh. Oh, she's been she's been trolling me since my No, <laughs> so how, how do you get mad losing to uh, Carol Burnett? We did. Spoiler <laughs> alert. How do you? And so then when we then when they wanted a second book, we were like, okay, we'll do the next five years. So the second book's the next five years, and then we're not doing another one ever again because we got along too well. It you went, don't want to fuck it up. It's sort of like yeah, having that third kid. We're like, he's going to be a, you know, we're like, yeah, 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 we'll shoot Yeah. yeah, yeah. It. <laughs> yeah we'll be story. So you, we have to. You mentioned,
1: you, you were talking about like documenting that scene. Um, you know, Penelope spheres made uh, the decline of Western civilization about the L.A. punk scene, which I've watched. And and that's where I'd seen X, like, mentioned. I only watched it recently. But so, you know, being from, you know, from you seeing that and, and what you know about that and the books and everything, how important was it to document that time in the music scene? And do you know what it did to the popularity of these artists?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's wild. It's, it's, um, I mean, overall, I mean, it, it did a couple of things that I think were really important. Um, and I loved all those movies, but it was funny. Like, I thought that's what punk rock was, was just people doing speed all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I literally was like, "That's what that, okay, this is awesome. It's just people doing speed and some kid named Eugene I have to avoid, who's got a shave head, who's going to shit. shit. <laughs> um, but the, uh, what the, like, a big thing that happened, I think, as, as, partial I, I like we're we're partially responsible for stuff that's happened i think there's a lot of uh, great writers and great um historians out there who are now documenting a lot of stuff but the go-go's being reframed historically accurately is coming up in the punk scene which people didn't know and they made, made their own documentary And a lot of people just mm-hmm. thought they popped out onto the radio with these hit songs and they were they were punk as fuck. If you go listen to those early days,
1: we like, it was, if you wanted to party and
0: you thought you could party the go goes oh. would out party you. I mean, I, again, I didn't know them during that time, but I know them now and they're and the stories they tell in the book. And, but yeah, they were, they were wild. And they were also one of those bands. They were learning to play as they got the band together with the exception of Charlotte, who was the, the, the musician and Gina, the drummer, but um, they, so they came together just fabulously punk rock, you know, just like slamming it out. So it, 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 it recaptured. And there's a band that what I loved about it was like, I said, we didn't tell anybody what anybody else was writing about. And the band that everybody that I found was everybody's favorite band was this band called the screamers who had never put out a record, Ooh. had a really famous logo, but had never put out a record. Yeah, and so they, um, so they were this sort of infamous band, very and keyboard-led, no guitar sort of thing. Like they reissued officially like their demos for the first time after this. Uh, this band called The Brat, who's I think this amazing band from the East LA scene. Who, when I say the music was gone, like it was. They were indie records. They're not. They weren't on Spotify. You couldn't find them for less than five hundred dollars. You went to a store, so their records started to get reissued. And as we did book tours, I just found people were just discovering these bands by reading this and going like, oh, I really like Henry Rollins. And Henry Rollins is talking about, you know, uh, Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs and making this up. And so I looked them up and I really liked that band. So I, just found, I think it helped get awareness up for a lot of people. And it helped, um, you know, I, I look at the L.A. punk scene sort of like an art scene for lack of a better word, meaning like Basquiat or something like that. It's not like, it's just all these people were created in this time and it was so regional that you only heard it if you lived local. There was no way to hear it. And so now, in the same way, like, there's a point we heard about Basquiat, which I didn't know who that was until it became bigger. global. Yeah you know or keith herring or any of those artists that came out of you know i remember when i learned about the warhol scene and how it tied into but i was older when i was like oh there's this scene and so the world is sort of finding out now about these regional punk rock scenes be it be it you know london's been greatly documented new york's been greatly documented la is now being really well documented but the midwest san francisco all these regional areas you really the only way you could hear the bands was, was if you there. Vocal. and so now yeah. it's getting out wider and people, and you can find music like i said we used to have to buy records to hear them now someone can be like you listening to, to reading the chapter and be like oh, i want to hear what this band sounds like yeah
1: welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute what's the name of that podcast that's ax to grind uh and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all
0: um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from uh,
1: niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to
0: love, or hate.
1: Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week.
0: So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot. And listen, axe grind podcast.
1: Because you had mentioned uh, they're fans of the Doors, and Ray Manzarek produces this record. Do you know how they got that to happen?
0: You know, <laughs> <laughs> this is where, Yeah, I mean, you gotta get into this. It's in the book, and I'm trying to remember who put them together. But they were being compared to the Doors at the time, and I think yeah. I think it was as Hollywood as Manzarek came to a show. And saw him and went, holy shit! Like and he just got blown away. Yeah, and they did. And I know they and they they were such fans of his. He was fans of theirs. And they, like, they cut a version of Soul Kitchen that's I knew before I knew the Doors version of Soul Kitchen sounds nothing like the Doors version of Soul Kitchen. But uh, they were bonded. They they did four albums together, and they even talk, They were supposed to do a fifth. And at that point, the record label was when I say when sort of metal one, the record label came in and went, no, we're getting you a hit producer. And they got this guy who did all these docking records and made this really big, heavy record for him. And that record was supposed to be made with Manzarek. And I know they bemoan like, because the songs are great, but it's such a sounds like a Joan Jett record kind of in a lot of ways. Um, got Wild Thing, which you probably remember from the movie uh, Major League. Oh, well, I, I do sessions, not on that album, but from those same sessions. Um, But they just really had that. That thing with Ray where you know, it's the cliched thing. I, I again, it's I wasn't there. It's not my band, but if I were, you know, to guess, I would say it was one of those fifth members of the band thing. He completely got them. They completely got him and they they were and it's funny what you you mentioned at one point Billy saying, Oh, this record sounds thin and it was really cheap. They didn't have any money, so these records were made really cheap as a as a result, they came out sounding pretty timeless. They're just rock and roll records. Yes. They they couldn't afford to put anything that sounded really cool in nineteen eighty one on it if they even wanted to, but it just didn't happen, I think, because they didn't have the budget to.
1: No, you know, it's funny that you say that, because it's like, it doesn't, this holds up. This record holds up. It doesn't feel like, oh, this is 1981. This feels like this could have come out two months ago, and it still pops.
0: That's what I mean about comparing it to all those other more iconic bands. It's just one of those records where, you know, I'll listen to one of my beloved old Bromstead records. I'll be like, wow, that's Loud Cowbell. That Cowbell is pretty hot in the mix. You know, there's just... yeah, big- yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, all right, this is the '70s, and then and then you find that record that just you go, wow! I couldn't tell you who the president was. I don't know what movie star was big then. Like, it doesn't bring some kind of pop culture association to you. It's just thirty minutes of punching you in the face, you know? Yeah,
1: it's dude. It's like you. I would put it on, and I would just be like it would be over before it began and I'd be like, Oh my God. But it was like, you would, you would go up and down. There's so many yeah. peaks and valleys and so many different styles of music in it. And, you know, the opener, uh, is yeah. just such a banger. And and then to follow that up with we're desperate and then adult books, which I, I fucking, I remember it started, I was like, eh, I don't think I'm going to like this. And I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like I love this song. Yeah. Um, and it just goes on and on. And I mean, it just, it's, White Girl, I mean, there's so many good tracks on this. Um, so let's see if there's any interesting facts. Uh, Adam mentioned White Girls. Let me find it. White, No, White Girls, White Girl. Uh, this is the only single released from the record. The romantic tension that twists in the heart of this, one of X's most beloved songs, is apparently rooted in real life. Although singer and bassist John Doe was married to fellow singer Exine, uh at the time, he wrote White Girl about... Whom Lorna Doom, the bassist of the germs. Yes. This fact lends lends a certain extra weight to Exine's rather tired sounding echoes of Doe's more fervid descriptors. She's blonde, 19, and to the fact that her vinegary harmony vocals on the chorus sound more like a sigh of resignation than anything else. Do you know any history about that
0: you can fill us uh, in it with? Funny, I do, and it's the, the one thing is I never do just doing AR and working with songwriters. I never asked songwriters what, what a song's about. Yes. Yeah. So you live through it with them and you're like, you know the breakup that happened and you have know, the songs. Are, so you kind of know, but yeah, you know, we all kind of have our own mini movie playing in our head for the best song. So I just never really asked, but for this one, he did talk about it in the book and he said I could he finally reveal, but yeah, it was written about a moment he had with Lorna Doom from The Germs, who's the bass player. In a, one of the most ill-fated and now sort of legendary punk bands, you know, produced by Joan Jett, Darby Crash, mm-hmm. singer died the same day as John Lennon, uh, so he got a little dwarfed. Um, but he, it, there's a, there's a line in there that's a, leaving a trail of blue and black, which was the Germs logo colors. And so, yes, it was. It was it, like I said, John Zorn's words are out there, but it was. Uh, they were they were the king and queen of punk rock. They were married and divorced and remained in the band together. And so, like any Richard Linda Thompson, to I don't know, think of another couple that's in rock and roll. It, 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 they don't often continue to make music together, and they obviously, you know, their relationship and their their time together came out in the music. I'm sure. And so yeah. this he, he did come out and and fess up, fess up to being a An alley cat. All right,
1: let's uh, let's do some rap. Is there anything else, Adam, that we should mention about this record? That was the big one right there. I think that was the biggie. Good Uh, find. Yeah, dude. I just literally this was this was your show, Tom. You you were the host today. Um, Your back's got to be hurting by carrying us today. So oh yeah, you carried this (laughs) shit, dude. You've one hundred (laughs) percent carried it. Um,
0: All right. Best listen to show ever.
1: All right, rapid fire. We ask all the guests this. Uh, let me pull up my answers just so I have it. All right, favorite song on the record?
0: We're desperate, because it said the word fuck in it. So it, I thought it was amazing. <laughs> You'd wait during the live shows for like, I was 15, I was like, are they going to say it? I guess of course they're going to say it, but, but I love that song.
1: I love that song. I, I, my, you know, it's funny. The opener um, at first was my favorite song. Cause it was so catchy. Then uh, it went to adult books. Cause that rules too. And then I finally settled on white girl. Right Cause, on. That, cause that's Absolutely. the one that I, that's the one that I've, I've just kept humming and I've, I've just, you know, over and over. Uh, least favorite song on the record.
0: One that you might skip over. Gosh. I mean, not to log roll and sound like a sycophant here. I don't think there is one. Um, wow. Uh, I guess I'll do. Um, I get it. It's tough. It really is. I mean, if I had to, if I had to skip one, maybe when our love passed out on the couch, but I love it. So, but sorry, that was a boring answer.
1: No, nah, it's a goodie. It's a goodie. Cause it came from the heart and I understood how, how torn you were. <laughs> get that out. All right. Uh what song on this record would you fuck to? <laughs>
0: uh well 15-year-old me, all of them, because they're all frantic and fast. <laughs> There's no like Roxy music song in this record though. I'm trying to think like what would uh oh I guess a, Universe, universe Corner or adult books have good grooves. I say adult books. That's kind of gonna be I, I picked
1: adult books too. I picked a- adult books too. So, so you know the 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 books, the documentaries, the albums. This list, everything. You know what? What would you say is the legacy of X? Oh,
0: I mean, look, there. I, I think they are one of the most important rock and roll bands of the 20th century, which is a bold thing to say. But you know, there's the cliche like everybody that got an x record it it either made them form a band it made them read a book and what what blows me away and the reason i say that is like they played a couple of shows this year they did a a big show at the greek and when i went to that show it was it was mostly our age it was the greek and it was like our age to sort of 70 you know people that were around and it was like but it was like you know people went had some nice wine and then went to the x show and it was great it was sold out at the greek it was la homecoming and then just a few weeks ago they did two nights at the teragram and it was all fucking kids and it was all and the kids looked exactly like we did then. meaning like there was the greasers there was the the girls that looked like betty page with their you know there's the poetry kids there was the you know the jocks there was that, and it was just like it's sort of a universal thing i mean in a in a, in a way john would punch me in the eye if you heard me say this beatles zeppelin beach boys it's just they're, they're one of those rites of passage band where it means the same thing to everyone when they hear it the first time as opposed to um i think when you're singing about being desperate and you're singing about just being frustrated and not fitting in it's sort of the it's the it's the bowie thing they just never had hits you know there was never really hits but at the same point that whole, that thing you do factor hasn't followed them around. You know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah. yeah, they're the ones that did that one song. You know, like a lot of people from LA know Los Angeles, but, you know, people like people know albums by this band mostly. And yeah. that's really interesting. And so I just think that, you know, I just find like we were both shocked and happy with how well the book was received. But it was funny, the, the sort of, letters and notes and just the people who would come to the signings, everyone had the exact same story I did, which was like, Oh my God, I heard this and I didn't know this world was there when it was, or if they were around my age or so, like everyone sort of had that same experience. And I find like, it's, you know, it's like, I, I, I think that it it still does. Like, if you're going if, to, if you're hearing a clash record for the first time at 13, it's going to hit you the same way it probably hit the kid hearing it for the third at 13 in 1980, 81. Totally
1: dude, Tom, this was great. Uh, I can't man. thank you enough, man. Um, you know, like I said, dude, you're, you're the kind of guy that it's just like, I get it. I get why you're around. I get why you, you're just, you have a great energy and this was so much fun. And I mean this sincerely, dude, you were the perfect guest for this because you know uh, so much. Dude, um, that
0: that was so much fun. I I love, and again, not to log roll, too much but i fucking love your podcast man i thank got you, turned on to it's really it, it, you're doing the lord's work out there it's funny as hell and it's great thank so, you anything you want to promote go ahead two books out um on hashay for physical copies and penguin random house for the audiobooks the audiobooks are fun if you got audible it's every author reading their own chapter and so it's a fun little history book and there's some musical performances and some ad-libbing on the audiobooks that make it different from the books so Those are out there. So people under the big black sun and more fun in the new world. And oh, I should plug X put out a fucking great record during the pandemic called Alphabet Lands that they weren't able to properly tour on. That's out on Fat Possum. And uh, John Doe and his folk trio have a record coming out on Fat Possum sometime, I think, in the spring. So be on the lookout for those.
1: Check that out, everybody. Uh, Get the books. Get the books. Keep listening to this music. Uh, Tom, I can't thank you enough, man. Thank you so much, brother. It was fun, man. What I tell you, what I tell you, the one and only Tom DeSavia. Follow him on Instagram at DeSavia, A with the circle around it, D E S A V I A. And follow him on Twitter at T DeSavia. That's T D E S A V I A. A. For listener shout out this week I want to give This dude sends me messages all the time And I want to give him a big shout out Michael Lane Heath uh, He is a writer, a poet, musician And he's got, I think his own podcast Called My Week Beats Your Year Counters with your, Lou Reed Maybe that was a book I don't know, but all I know is He is a die hard fan At Michael Lane SF Thank you buddy for listening all right, we just listened to Extra 81. Check out this week's uh, Band of the Week, Adult Books. They're an LA born post punk band. You're listening to their song, Sparrows on the Razor Wire from their album, Grecian Urn. And you can hear those songs on the website, the500podcast.com. Send us your music, guys. Uh, big shout out to Black Magic, though. Those are my homies up in Vancouver. Big shout out to Black Magic. Uh, but listen to these guys, they're pretty cool, too. Next week, Richard and Linda Thompson Week. Shoot out the lights from 1982. Do your homework. Doogle, doogle. Flew into St. Louis at midnight. Empty terminals and salt on the sidewalks. Snow
0: falling down in the street lights. Making snow angels in the rental car parking lot. We felt so alive. You still did. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know.